Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, all. It's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. We have another Q&A session lined up for you here, so thank you for sending in your questions. If you have a question, please look at the show notes, go to my website or any of my social media handles, hashtag Ask Allison, hashtag podcast question, just send me your questions and I will answer them. So here's what we've got lined up for you today. So the first one is, hi, Allison, I can't make your Facebook Live, but can tune in later. Here's my question. So before I answer the question, I want you to know that I do do every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. I'm on air live for half an hour on Facebook, my professional page. If you want to ask me a question there, I will answer it. But we often run out of time or people don't want their name to come up in the comment field. So they want more anonymity and they then send them to me, um, you know, through emails. So if you'd like that format as well, check it out. Uh, so here's the question. My five and a half year old daughter, who by the way, is apparently very well behaved at school and pretty good at home now that we're implementing your strategies in democratic parenting, but she seems to struggle with loose boundaries and changes in routine. For example, yesterday her granddad was babysitting and asked her to come off the TV so he could play a computer game with my eldest son. She made their lives a misery, spat in my son's hair, gave a lot of attitude, and called her granddad a poo-poo butt. We discussed it after the scenario very calmly. I showed my understanding that she was disappointed she couldn't continue and perhaps even jealous that granddad wanted one-to-one time with my son, but that she wasn't respectful so she wouldn't be able to have TV today. I feel I need to work on her flexibility when not getting her way. I give her choices and explanations, but obviously this isn't always possible when other people are in charge. This particular grandparent is a real softie, but she often has others that are stricter and they get the same behavior. Would hugely appreciate your wisdom. From a listener all the way from England, and she sends me a kiss. All right, anonymous mother of 5.5 year old who's got a son uh, and a granddad who's 
pitching in with the childcare, which is super awesome. Uh, let me start by saying you've done so much good here, right? Uh, I love that you stayed calm. I loved that you could reflect back to her that she uh, was disappointed. So she showed that. And I love that you even went on a little further to to do a perhaps, because we don't know, but you checked out with her. Could it be perhaps that you were even jealous of granddad? So you were really trying to get to know what was going on for her. Because sometimes kids can't say, I was I felt jealous. But sometimes when we put out a guess, they go, yes, yes, that's what it was. I was jealous. So you did that all so, so beautifully. So kudos for you. Where I would um, give a recommendation for next steps and, and how to make this tighter for you is uh, in that when she wasn't respectful and you heard about it, your consequence was then that she wasn't able to have TV time today. So what I would say is where I would tweak your parenting there is around the uh, appropriate applications of consequences. So you were really trying to be non-punitive, but if we really want a consequence to be effective... It has to be applied. The child needs to have the choice up front. So she never was given the opportunity to say, if you can get off the computer in a positive way with positive emotion, you can keep having the computer. But if you get upset, dysregulated, spits, tantrums, storm your feet, then we're going to have to say goodbye to computer time. So I guess what I'm saying is when we give a consequence after the fact, you did something wrong and now, now you must endure this this consequence or punishment or or whatever it meant that the child never really had a chance they didn't they didn't they're hijacked does this make sense to you i think about this in the adult world if you're going to make a decision about a behavior and a choice don't you want to have all the information up front that if i was going to lease a car and they told me that i could have a maserati and that it was only going to cost me $400 a month. And I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. That's my decision. I'm going to pay $400 a month. I'm going to have a Maserati for 36 months. And then when you drop off the Maserati and they say, oh, sorry, what we didn't tell you is that it didn't come with mileage. So you owe us $12,000. I'm like, whoa, I did not have all the information up front before I made my decision about purchasing or leasing the Maserati. So when you say to a kid, because you were so, you spit in your brother's hair and now you don't get TV, she didn't know that that was part of the equation. So it's really important that when we are implementing consequences that we follow positive discipline, Jane Nelson's lovely little R, R formula, respectful, relevant, revealed in advance, revealed in advance. She didn't know. She didn't know this wasn't revealed in advance. This is like, you weren't nice to me today. I'm canceling your birthday party. We can't do consequences after the fact. They, 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 they feel arbitrary. Uh, they don't, they're not, it's not a learning model. It feels punitive to kids. They don't land well. So, um, so that's one thing that I would just be cognitive, cogn- cognitive, cognitive, there's a word there anyway, of, and, um, And then the other thing is about the role that a parent plays when we're not present when our child misbehaves. So in this case, it was when granddaddy was babysitting, and then he told you after the fact how things went down. It could also be a teacher in a classroom that, you know, later shares with you at the door. You pick up your kid, and you're like, well, I just want you to know that Johnny had a really hard time cleaning up the paint stations today. Um, and then you take him home and say, the teacher told me you didn't clean up the paint station very well today, so you, you don't get Paw Patrol. 
The truth is, and I know this feels hard for parents, but we have to realize that effective discipline happens in the moment. In the moment. So it's the teacher's job to deal with the kid who didn't handle the place, the, the paint station well. It's granddaddy's job to handle a kid who spits in his brother's hair when you tell him to get off. And I know that you're looking at it from the outside and you're feeling responsible as a parent for your child's behavior, but you're not. You're only responsible for your behavior. And so you really need to leave it between the two of them. So then I hear you say, yeah, but he's really a softy. You know, he... Um, He's, he's not as strict as I am. Well, the way that she's going to learn how to get along with other people is going to be how she handles responsibilities in your house when she's dealing with you. You. You're the, the, you are the biggest impact. You and your partner, whatever, your, your primary figures of attachment and the way that you go through 99% of your life is just the rhythm of the family home, getting up, brushing our teeth, our breakfast, our lunch, our playtime, our coming home, our bedtime routines. That's where you're teaching your child to be a cooperative human being. And then we put them into these one-off situations where, you know, um, granddaddy does things differently. He's either stricter or he's more lenient. And then you really have to kind of leave it between the two of them. So you can say to granddad, I'm so sorry that you had a hard time with her, you know, getting off the uh, the, the computer. You know, I wonder, do you think maybe she um, uh, didn't know that her time up was coming? Or do you think maybe she felt jealous? And say, well, you know, I know how I might have handled this at home. I don't know if you're interested in some of my ideas. But so you can ask, you know, would you like to know what I might have done myself in that moment? So that you empower him so that he can be the eyeballs on the, uh, you know, in the, and the change agent in the moment. But pulling her aside and having a talking to and a consequence outside of the interaction is really not how good discipline happens. It's not how good teaching happens. It often feels like, it's kind of like, wait till your father gets home. It doesn't speak to the fact that dynamics happen live time in the moment with the characters that are on the stage. And it just, it may be that, that your granddad um, gets walked over and she knows it. And that's, again, between the two of them. It sounds terrible, but, you know, it's it's kind of, believe it or not, mind your own business, which is what Rudolf Dreiker says, it's between the two of them. And you might be feeling like, oh, why is my daughter doing this to my dad? Um, but I, I would uh, I would leave it between the two of them. They will figure it out. You can empower grandpa to try some different things. You might even have a little small conversation about, you know, I'm sorry you had a hard time, you know, with the computer and grandpa. Sounds like you really wanted to be have that time shared more equitably. You know, what might you do? What might you do differently in the future so that you feel that you get both your fun computer time and you allow for the fact that grandpa wants to have some one-on-one -on -one time with your brother? So you can coach, but I don't think, you know, punishing, she's not going to sit there and say like, I'm going to not spit on my granddad next time. She's more likely to say, are you kidding me? And now he got me in trouble. Now I'm madder at grandpa. Now I'm madder at my brother. Now I'm madder at my mother we actually have a kid who's more discouraged and less likely to learn because we know the deeper the discouragement, the more likely they are to misbehave. So I hope that gives you some insight into, into um, uh, next steps for you. But I just, I really want to give you kudos for how much of this you're really understanding and, and applying. It's just fantastic. Next question. Hey, Allison, first to say, I love all of your books and podcasts. I have an 18-month-old and a four-year-old son. The 
month-old baby just started jumping out of the cot when put to bed. I get him back without saying nothing and he does it again and again. Any advice? Also, when he's put in the cot, he sometimes just starts playing with his rabbit and doesn't sleep, but instead he plays. The four-year-old sometimes, when put to bed, goes out and starts to ask for things, toilet water, etc. And that can take for ages. Please, I will appreciate your opinion. You have helped me so much before. Thank you. Well, um, so we got, let's, there's two questions here. Let's start with the youngest, the 18 month old, where you put him into bed and he gets in and gets out and gets in and gets out. I find by the time you got a kid getting in and out of bed, you might as well just admit defeat and stop trying to contain them. Lower the sidebars of the, of the, of the crib or put them into a toddler's bed. And I would use the next level of containment to be the door to the room, not the actual sleeping quarters. So I would make sure that the the door to the room has a child-friendly handle on it. I would say it's not really uh, important to you as a parent. Do you care if he sleeps in the cot, on the floor, in front of the door, on the bed, in a play bed? None of those things really matter. That's a choice a child can make. Your, your role and responsibilities in putting a child to bed is to have a place for them to sleep, get them settled and soothed, and then to walk out and trust that they can take it from there. So I wouldn't care if he was up, in, or out. You know, again, I, I think removing the sidebar makes it even more safe because it's more the kids pitching themselves over the edge that they're more likely to crack their head on the ground. Um, so lower the sides. He's not going to be contained, so stop playing that, that game with him and get him set up in a toddler bed. And say, well, you can sleep here or there. You can sleep in the crib. You can sleep on the floor. You can sleep in this little bed. That's up to you. Good night. And off you go. And then if he plays, so be it. So be it. The idea is you you can control yourself and you can control the situation, but you can't control the child. So you can decide that after this time, when I say good night and I give you a kiss on the cheek, I don't come back until the morning. What you do between now and the morning is completely up to you. And if a child's sitting there playing alone, either they're not tired enough, so you might want to look at how long you're actually giving them to... Sorry, some parents keep putting their kids to bed at the same time, even though their kid is two years older and they need less sleep. So it could be you're putting them to bed too early, but but mostly kids are staying up and playing and jumping in and out of bed as just different variations on shenanigans in order to lure you back in to the bedroom in order for you to deal with them. Go to bed, get back in your crib, stop playing, it's time for sleep. And so this would fall under the mistaken goal of, of attention seeking. So if you do the right thing, lying down, curling up with your blanket and going to sleep, you get no attention. If you stay awake and you kerfuffle and go against the grain, go against the social order, you get people dealing with you in the form of correction. So I I don't want to make a child uh, have their goal on the non-constructive side of life work beneficially for them. So I don't want to give them the payoff. I don't want to go in and say, go to bed. I don't want to go in and say, get back in your crib. Just leave it be, leave it be. And with no behavioral interaction between a parent, no social payoff, no relational dynamics coming into play, most kids would rather go to sleep quietly, peacefully in a soft bed. (laughs) So, but you got to like, yeah, give them, I don't know, six weeks to experiment with making different choices. But so long as you don't get suckered into it, which is what your four-year-old is doing, just the same thing, which is what kind of a parent would you be if your kid said that they were thirsty and you, you know, refuse them water? How can you refuse water? Well, of course, you're not going to refuse water. But what we end up doing is we say, it's time for bed. 
I'm not going to be available anymore to help you. So what are all the things that we need to do before bed? Have you peed? Have you brushed your teeth? Have you got your water? Have you got enough snacks in your tummy? And if you don't, snack time's over. What else do you need from me? Because we're going to do tuck-ins and then I'm going to leave and you're going to be on your own till the morning. And if you need to pee, you can go down the hall You know, or I'll bring your potty chair into the bedroom. If you need water, I'll leave you a glass beside your bed. If you need to drink the water and go use the potty, go ahead. Here's some wet wipes or whatever he needs. But the idea is you aren't going to be on duty parenting after you say that final good night. And the fact that they're finding all of these creative ways to pull you in just keeps their creativity alive. So if you aren't going to do it for I'm thirsty, would you do it for I have to go to the bathroom? Would you do it for I think there's a ghost under my bed? Would you do it for I hear something strange outside my wall and I'm scared? Would you do it for I have a bloody nose? My daughter used to pick her nose until it bled because how am I going to ignore that? It's blood. That's a medical treatment, right? I had to start I had to start letting that go. So they will do, they'll get more and more creative. But once they realize that they're, it's really just another example of it's a parent's job to set a limit and boundary. It's a child's job to find the boundary. I'm basically showing them the boundary is when I close the door at 8 o'clock p.m., I don't come back and do anything until the morning. So go ahead, test all the way you want. Cry out for water, cry out for food, pick your nose, get a nosebleed, do all the crazy things that you might do, hop in and out of bed, play instead of go to sleep, try them all. And what you're going to realize is, huh, no matter what I do, my parents aren't available until seven o'clock in the morning and they will stop testing the limit and boundary. So it's painful while it's going on, but that's basically the, the, the path and, and, the, and the method for them to realize that you say what you mean, you mean what you say, you follow through firm and friendly, you're there for their needs, not for their wants, you're there to support them, but not, not to be complicit in uh, making them be uh, pampered and not face the realities of life, which is all of us have to go to bed, whether we like it or not. They're up for the challenge of being a human being. Uh, and that is part of the ironclad logic of social living, the give and take of living with other people, conforming to the requirements of a social situation, not being entitled and saying, I do what I want when I want. And that's hard for parents, but you're setting them up for such a robust mental script if you do that, if you can hang in. All right, last question here. Um, good afternoon, Allison. I have a question regarding my 13-year-old son. He seems to reject any intervention on my part in giving advice on life matters and also likes to comment negatively when I say things either to him or his older brother, 17 years old. So here's some examples. One, he was having some issues with a friend when working on a project and called his friend lazy for not doing his part. His friend was upset by this. Both boys are high achievers. The reason I found out is that his message with his friend came through my phone, my iPhone, and my iPad use the same account. He has his own phone, which he could use. I asked him about it, and he said, why are you reading them? I explained that the two are connected. He said, I took care of things. I let it go, and then tried to discuss this again in the evening at bedtime. At first, he didn't want to discuss it, usual, and said it had been taken care of. When I pushed a little bit more and asked him, did you learn anything from the experience? He said, what do you mean? Would you approach a similar situation in the future in the same way? We finally had a discussion, which was good. This does not happen often. Well, the first thing I would say, if it doesn't happen often, don't worry about it. We're all going to have our little, the little things of parenting, probably not worth our energy. 
Number two, I do struggle with his attitude towards me and his view that I can't possibly know anything. He will discuss things that he found on the web, which aren't accurate. And if I try to tell him that not everything is accurate on the web, he will argue with me on how it is accurate and that he knows what he is doing. And then third, I have a conversation with my older son and he was making some suggestions on how to deal with the situation. My younger one pipes in and says, mom, stop worrying. He knows what he's doing. I try to step back and not to react to my younger son's interruptions or constantly telling me to stop worrying, etc. But I am at a loss at how to deal with him when he says these things. He is extremely bright, works hard, and is very social. We just need some helpful advice on dealing with a strong-willed 13-year-old who knows it all. So at 13, there's a real transition that happens with our kids. The role of the parent in the early years of life is more like a teacher, you know, put your shoes on the mat. We have to brush our teeth so we don't get tooth decay. You know, we need to eat a protein and a vegetable. We do a lot of educating. But then when our kids move into the adolescent years, they don't want to know what we know. They don't like being told what we know. They want to show us what they know. They want to take over the running of their prefrontal cortex. Yes, they're going to mess stuff up a lot of times. But many things they can manage on their own, and we don't need to actually deepen the learning by reviewing it and talking about it. So I'm getting the feeling of a theme here from your son, which is that you're not trusting the process that they're going to put two and two together, that you're not trusting the process that when he's working on a project and he gets into a kerfuffle with his friend, um, there's this, this feeling like that you need to like, add some kind of a, uh, a statement piece, uh, a learning moment or whatever, um, analyze it with him. And the truth is a lot of that stuff, you just want to be sage counsel sitting on the sidelines. And if they come to you for advice, great. And you might say something like, you know, well, I had a thought or two about how that went down with your friend. If you want, if you want my opinion on that, let me know. So you kind of have to ask because it's so um, sensitive to this age group that you're going to be moralizing, lecturing. Um, it's a style of communication that could be in your blind spot that you don't even realize. Uh, but if everything feels like, oh, here's mom with the lecture. Oh, here's mom with the life lesson. And they really want you to hear, we're growing up, we're getting mature. We don't always do things positively, but we mostly do okay. And show us that you have faith in us, not only when we succeed and figure things out on our own, but also when we fumble, fumble that we can pick up the ball and, and, and continue on. So I think what they really want to hear is not all your sage wisdom. I think what they really want to hear from you is, you'll figure it out. You'll get it. You'll work it through with your friend. You'll figure out what to do next time. You don't need to give the instruction. You need to give the empowerment to them that they are stumbling along and that they'll likely solve it on their own. So every time we try to step in with our wisdom and try to take over the work of their prefrontal cortex, they find that as very demeaning, controlling, interrupting, interfering. And, uh, and we really have to just step back so much farther than we think and, and show them that faith. And it's going to look ugly and sloppy a lot of the time because you got to practice a bunch of stuff. We might lose the friend. The friend might say, I don't want to work on projects with you anymore. That was really rude what you said about me being lazy. And that'll be the learning moment. And you can say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that turned out that way. But you don't need to do the whole like, well, if you would have included him, 
that's that stuff that's just stings. And the stinging is the punitive that you should have known better. That style of communication is going to shut our kids down. So he is giving you some general feedback about needing you to have more faith and trust, be less of a, a busybody in their business, but continuing to say to them, I'm always here on the sidelines if you need to run something past me. And continuing to say, I'm sorry you're in a sticky situation. I know you'll work it out. Let me know if you need help from me. But you got to hand over just more, just hand over more, hand over more, hand over more. And it will look sloppy. It will look ugly, but they will also grow. So hopefully that is, uh, that's helpful. So thank you everyone who sent in questions. Please catch me for my next Q&A in a couple of weeks. Send in anything through an email, my social handles, and we'll get them queued up for the next one. Till then, take care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.